You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Here's something I've never done. Never done, never occurred to me to do, wouldn't do it on a dare. Pound on someone's door at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning to share the good news of the anal orgasm or the conquerable gag reflex or the scientifically proven benefits of indulging your partner's kinks. Thanks again to sex researcher Amy Muse for doing the science on good giving and game. I always had a hunch, but Professor Muse's research proved that people who fulfill their partner's reasonable slash doable fantasies, recognizing, of course, that reasonable and doable are relative terms. But those people report, quote, higher levels of daily sexual desire and were more likely to maintain their desire for their partner over time. So kind of like Jesus, good giving in game saves. In fairness to Jesus, he saves souls, which don't exist, while GGG saves relationships, which do. So GGG for the win there. Anyway, years ago, Jehovah's Witnesses started knocking on my door on Saturday mornings. Terry and I hadn't been together long, and we weren't parents yet, so we were still partying pretty hard on Friday nights and did not care for people banging on our door on Saturday mornings. But the first few times we were polite, we'd say, Yes, we've heard of Jesus, and no thank you, we are not interested in Christianity generally, and in Jehovah's Witnessing in particular, as we are both big fans of Christmas and birthday parties. But they banged on our door, again, a fourth Saturday, in a row, and that morning, disgusted, I answered the door naked and screamed at them to leave us the fuck alone. Might have added something about being gay and having just fucked my boyfriend, whatever it is I said, that morning, naked at my front door, it worked. They never returned. And we must have gone on some shared database of hopeless reprobates because we've never had a proselytizing, God-bothering, Bible-thumping, Christian, evangelical, conservative weirdo show up at our door again. Those long ago and oh so far away Jehovah's Witnesses came to mind as I was reading about John Allen Chow this weekend. Chow was the evangelical Christian missionary who showed up on the doorstep, actually the pristine beach, of an ancient tribe of hunter-gatherers who have lived undisturbed on an island in the Indian Ocean for thousands of years. Chow was so obsessed with bringing Christ Almighty to the heathens on North Sentinel Island that he snuck onto that island under cover of darkness. And he had to sneak onto that island because it's illegal for anyone who isn't a member of that tribe to set foot on it. The Indian Navy patrols the waters around the island to prevent anyone from actually getting there. And it's illegal for outsiders to step foot on this island because the tribe has no natural immunity to the diseases of the modern world. So an outsider could introduce a pathogen that could wipe this tribe out. Also, too, the tribe is known for being violently hostile to outsiders and others who have landed on the island, mostly by accident, have been murdered. Chow made it onto the island twice. He cut his first visit short after a member of the tribe shot an arrow at him that pierced the Bible he had in his hand. Now, a reasonable person might have chalked that up to chance, but Chow, an unreasonable person, interpreted it to mean that God would protect him. Unlikely and untrue, as it turned out, but if you were the kind of person who needs to see God's hand in everything, maybe that arrow through the Bible was God giving Chow one last chance to get his unwelcome ass off that island. But he went back. And on his second visit, the islanders did what everyone warned Chow they would do. They killed him. 
And now American evangelical groups are calling on Indian authorities to retrieve Chow's body and bring his quote-unquote murderers to justice. Yeah, no. Chow's presence on that island itself was attempted murder, not just of a culture, but a threat to the lives of every member of that tribe. So his murder was an act of self-defense. The tribe was, now what's that phrase again, beloved by right-wing religious gun nuts everywhere? Oh, right. The tribe stood its ground. Say what you like about Chow. I'd say he was an idiot, selfish, self-centered, God-bothering narcissist. But there is biblical justification for what he was trying to do. Mark 16, 15, go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's no biblical justification, however, for what our government is doing to migrants at our southern border, where women and children who are legally requesting asylum in this country are being met with tear gas. The same evangelical groups demanding justice for Chow. Actually, I'm going to digress here for a second. Chow, like those Jehovah's Witnesses at my door 20 years ago, was out there doing what? Recruiting. Something the gays never do, but evangelicals constantly accuse us of doing. Anyway, evangelical groups demanding justice for Chow are conspicuously silent on the abuse of refugees and immigrants at our border. Silent despite Matthew 25, 42, for I was a foreigner and you took me in. And the punishment for not taking that foreigner in right from Jesus's mouth. Let me consult my notes here. Oh, right. Eternal punishment. Hell fire. Yeah, I know. I know. Not a new insight. I am not the first person to point out that evangelical Christians are pretty lousy Christians. (laughs) Pro-gun, pro-Trump, pro-death penalty, pro-separating children from their parents. Remember when they were all about every child deserves a mother and a father? I do. They don't. But you know what? If they can't be bothered to at least pretend to believe the things their so-called Savior said, if they refuse to do what Jesus told them to do, why do we have to pretend to believe they're Christians at all? They're idiots. All of them. Evangelical, conservative, self-centered, selfish, narcissistic, God-bothering assholes, one and all. They, again, I'm talking about evangelical, conservative, right-wing Christians here, they need to stop waving their Bibles at hunters and gatherers and cocksuckers and buttfuckers and sit their asses down and read them instead. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum and Micro editions of the Savage Lovecast, Stormy Daniels is here not to talk about him, not to talk about you-know-who, but to answer your sex questions and help me give you sex advice. Again, that's on the Magnum and the Micro Edition, both of today's Savage Lovecast. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am a cis female, heteroflexible from the West Coast, and I recently had my first dom-sub experience. I met a guy through work, and he already has a primary partner in which he lives 100% dom-sub all the time, and he doesn't consider her equal. Of course, this is all consensual, but I have some trauma from my past with an abusive relationship, and so this kind of really bothers me. Like, I'm totally for them doing this, but it kind of scares me getting into the world of BDSM because I've always been interested in it, but I guess I'm afraid of not having my own agency. 
So, yeah, what do you think? How do I get involved in it as someone who has experienced trauma and is still processing it? I hope you're seeing a counselor or therapist to work on the issues you have with your past experiences with trauma because BDSM play is not therapy. Sometimes it gets talked about as if it is. There are a lot of people who find BDSM play to be very cathartic. There are lots of research papers that have been written that show that people who engage in consensual BDSM play are often psychologically healthier and there are a lot of people in the scene and a lot of people outside the scene. A lot of people who do BDSM have past experiences with trauma and find BDSM play and the control it gives them, whether they're dom or sub, healing. But of course, there are a lot of people out there who have past sexual trauma who don't do BDSM play and don't need to do BDSM play. People who are attracted to BDSM should do it. Some people with past trauma find that doing BDSM Again, it's cathartic and helpful, but it isn't therapy. Also, BDSM ain't abuse, and abuse ain't BDSM. You, and you set up a false choice for yourself here. You can be involved with BDSM, or you can have your agency. And that's just false. You can do BDSM play where you have control, even as the sub, where you have agency, even as the sub, where you negotiate and agree to consent to a brief period of time where there is a power exchange that you can opt out of at any moment by deploying your safe word. Because this guy has a full-time sub and they're doing cops and robbers with their pants off 24 hours a day doesn't mean that you have to do cops and robbers with your pants off 24 hours a day with him or anyone else. You can contain it. You can shape it. You can put a time limit on it. You don't have to, if you do it once, you don't have to do it always and forever with this guy or anyone else. So clearly you're uncomfortable with the idea of a 24-7 situation. If you're interested in playing with this guy who has a 24-7 sub and it's a consensual relationship and it's what they both want, make it clear to him that that is not what you want and you are not interested in a 24-7, 365 DS relationship or even around the clock DS encounter with him where he's in charge from the moment that you two meet up that you want a defined beginning and end to your submission. And of course you want a ripcord. You want that safe word that if you deploy it, it ends, it stops and you should talk with him more. You should get a sense about whether you can trust him. You can also ask to talk to other subs he's played with. Maybe not the 24-7 sub that he's got at home, but other women, because clearly he's not in a monogamous committed relationship with his sub. He plays with other women. There are probably other women out there that he's played with for an evening. And you should ask if you can speak to one or two. And if they vouch for him and you're comfortable playing with him, go for it. But no more false choices. No more, oh my God, I can be involved in BDSM or I can have agency and control. You can be involved in BDSM as a sub and still have agency and control. The well-known at this point secret of a BDSM encounter is most of them are shaped by the sub's desires and the sub's wants. And in a way, the top is, despite what's being performed, despite what it may look like, the top is meeting the bottom's needs and hitting marks at the bottom laid out for the top and servicing the bottom and not the other way around. And if you speak with a guy who isn't interested in your needs, isn't interested in what you want out of an encounter or a BDSM experience and is just, you know, clueless McDom stick up his ass and is only interested in doing what he wants to do and ordering you around, not the guy that you want to play with, not the style of BDSM that appeals to you because that would require you to sacrifice your agency and make yourself vulnerable in a way that you are not willing to make yourself vulnerable. So pass on that guy. If he's that guy and go find a guy who wants to negotiate a scene 
that works for you, that you're going to be comfortable, relaxing during, and performing submission. It really is a performance. It's theatre. It's cops and robbers with your pants off and orgasms. It is not a door you walk through that you can only walk through one way and your agency is on one side and submissions on the other. It's not that. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old bisexual woman that's got myself in a bit of a situation. About three months ago, I met this amazing girl. She's super sweet and I really see a future with her. We both have come from very toxic relationships, so right now we're both not labeling the relationship at all. We're both emotionally invested in each other and want to give this relationship a label in the future when we're both comfortable. But we have also mutually agreed upon being physically open to others as long as we disclose prize to physicality. The problem is that I've also started talking to this king couple, and I'd really like to pursue physical intimacy with them as their sub. With being their sub, I feel like the bond that I need with them would be very intimate as to why I feel like I have a problem. I feel like this relationship with these dogs would be too intimate, and she may not also be okay with me having that type of kink play with other people. I really don't want to screw up this relationship with this girl, but I feel a giant need to explore with this couple. My question is, would you deem the playtime that I'd have with this couple to be too intimate for my open relationship, or am I freaking out over nothing and I should just talk to her? You ask whether I would deem the kind of kink play that you would have with this couple to be too intimate, and it's not relevant how I might deem it, how I might regard the degree of intimacy in that kind of encounter, that kind of ongoing relationship with this kinky couple that you'd like to sub for. What matters is how this girl, this other woman that you are involved with but not involved with, that it's only been three months, you both came out of toxic arse, you're not labeling it, you're not making any commitments, and you agreed that it was okay for you to pursue physical intimacy with others. It depends how she would regard it. And if she regarded that as a threat or a problem, if she disapproved of that kind of sex, then maybe she's not the right partner for you because you obviously are very interested in kink, in some sort of DS power exchange encounter, multiple encounters with one person or a couple. That would be an ongoing connection. That would be, for lack of a better term, a relationship. So talk to this girl that you are dating, that you are contemplating getting serious about at some point down the road, about how she feels about kink, how she feels about BDSM or DS encounters, and whether she has a problem with that being an intrinsic aspect of your sexuality that you want to express, that you may need to express, so that you feel sexually fulfilled. When she said it was okay, when you both agreed that it was okay for you to have outside encounters with others, what did that mean? Did that mean only vanilla sex? Did that mean only one-offs? Did that mean you can't know their names? Does that mean when you're in different time zones? What does it mean? We're not having sex with anybody else, just us two. That means one thing, everybody gets it. We can have sex with other people is not the end of that conversation or that agreement. You have to keep talking about what you mean by sex, what I mean by sex, and whether sex can come bundled with intimacy, some form of romance or connection, kink. So... You ask me what I think, I think you need to talk to your girlfriend. That's what I think because what she thinks is what matters. And if it's something you want and something you need, she may not be the right prospective partner for you in the future, which is all she is right now. Someone you might date seriously down the road. Are you willing to pass on this opportunity to be with this couple in this way that you would like to be with them because someone might want to commit to you at some indefinite point in the future? Something you might want to ask yourself. Hey, Dan. Long-time listener and even long-time reader. I remember reading Savage Love way back when in Chicago. 
Chicago in the Chicago Reader. And my question isn't a relationship one. It's more about uh, your approach to questions. Uh, I and some of my uh, friends who are also fans have noticed that current Dan compared to uh, Dan in the past seems to be a lot uh, kinder and gentler um, in terms of your responses to questions and how you approach people as far as their uh, letters and, and calls to the show are concerned. So uh, my question is this, is uh, this something that you've consciously done um, or is it just sort of crept up on you? Uh, of, of course, you can completely disagree with me and think I'm way uh, the fuck off base, but uh, I'm just curious to see uh, what uh, what you have to say about that. I haven't made a conscious effort to be less of an asshole. Maybe it correlates strongly with marijuana becoming legal in Washington State in 2012. But I do think that the, there's a difference between getting a letter where people have to be short, they have to be succinct, I don't hear their voices, and getting a call. And I do think doing the podcast for the last 10 years has kind of reshaped my approach subconsciously because – it's harder to be just snarky or dismissive when you can hear real pain in someone's voice. It was easier to knock the letters around or be funny and dismissive when it was just a letter. It's harder to do that when you can hear someone's voice. There's an intimacy to someone being in your ears like that and you feel more connected to them. And also I call people back frequently and I do think that the podcast – changed a little bit the way I give advice. I'm still a snarky asshole. I haven't, of course, made any effort to shave the asshole edges off this asshole. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm a little bit less harsh, a little bit less snarky, a little bit less jokey. And I think it was this new format. I think it was taking calls, hearing people, listening to them, and sometimes calling them back that maybe resulted in my approach becoming a little bit kinder and a little bit gentler over the years. Although I did get a letter at Savage Love this morning asking me why I am such an asshole. So there's some people out there who don't see the kinder, gentler shit that you guys are seeing. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s woman calling from the Midwest. So a few days ago, I went out with a guy. We got drinks, came back to my place, started rolling around a little bit. Um, I was having a really good time. He couldn't get hard, but, you know, that was okay. That wasn't a big deal to me. Um, I didn't care. There's plenty of things you can do without a hard dick. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't worried at all. But I could tell that he felt really bad about it. He was really self-conscious. He apologized a bunch. Um, I made it really clear that I was having a good time. I didn't care. This didn't bother me. And I made sure he knew that. But then the next day I realized that, you know, I wasn't really interested in pursuing a romantic relationship with him. And so I was going to tell him, but then I thought, oh, no, he might think that, like, I, I'm not in interested in him because he couldn't get hard. And I didn't want him to think that because it wasn't true. Um, there were other reasons. And so I decided that I would get dinner with him one more time. And then I would tell him, like, the next day or the day after that I wasn't interested in him. So he wouldn't think that I wasn't interested in him because he couldn't get hard. But I just had dinner with him tonight, and it felt really, you know, dishonest and ingenuine, and I, I really like being honest with people, and so I didn't like this feeling of, you know, I felt like I was kind of leading him on. And so I want your opinion about this. Did I do the right thing? You know, I did I save him from his own self-consciousness by getting dinner with him, and then I'll tell him at a, a later time? 
that I'm not interested in him and he won't think it's about the fact that he couldn't get hard? Or should I have been honest with him as soon as I knew because it's just, it's better not to lead people on? So Stormy Daniels, how far does a woman have to go to protect a man's fragile ego when his penis isn't concerned? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that uh, you have to be careful when dealing with someone's self-esteem in such a sensitive area. Like, you know, but I have to tell this young lady, first of all, I really admire her honesty with herself and her compassion is very, you know, commendable, commendable, like that she was thinking about someone's feelings and went the extra distance to not mock him or, or or flip it on herself and think, oh my God, his dick won't get hard. There's something wrong with me. Does he think I'm fat? Because that's where most chicks' brains go. That's true. I get that question all the time from right. women and who are like, he couldn't get hard, therefore I am I, not There's this, something I'm wrong with that. me. Does, right. is, there, is it something I looked? Did I do something wrong? And I, I love how confident she is and that she understands that like sometimes it just doesn't work. You know, he was probably nervous. It could have been, I mean, it's, it, any kind of thing. The thing I wrote down listening to her was but, plenty of things you can do without a hard dick. And that was, yes, that's what I was going to say. Like how open-minded and like. Well, she listens like, to my show. That's true. <laughs> um, but I was going to say that she messed up because she should have, everything she said to us just now, she should have just said to him before they had dinner the second time. Just been really, really honest. And I think if, you know what, if he couldn't handle that, then he didn't realize what a great friend he just messed out on. So she's not supposed to date him for 50 years to spare him from no, the absolutely not. That he might connect to the fact he couldn't get hard that first exactly. time. I think she should have just been like, listen, I, we need to have a really, really brutally honest conversation. Your brain is going to think that it's because your dick didn't work. And I want to let you know that's not the case. She should have done that. Your it, fingers worked, your tongue worked, right. your forearm worked, everything else worked. But I'm concerned that you will think that this is why. Basically, everything she just said to us, she should have said to him, not us. And then said, by the way, I think you're really great. Want to grab a bite? Right. But now she's done it this way. And the problem with that is now he's going to – no man wants to be pitied or felt sorry for. And now he's going to think, rightfully so, that she went to dinner with him because she pitied him. And that's a way, way bigger mistake than the previous one. That's really smart. The thing I always tell guys in a situation like this is – Accept rejection gracefully. Learn to accept rejection gracefully. Mm -hmm. Even embrace it because if somebody doesn't want to be with you, they're not somebody you should be wasting your time on. But also that person from whom you have accepted rejection gracefully has friends, is a part of a social network that you may intersect with again later. And that person, if you accepted their rejection gracefully and some friend of theirs is interested in you, is going to vouch for you. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't want the the opposite because we do that really well. Right. If you're a big (laughs) fucking baby and you have a meltdown because a woman said no and didn't want to date you and and tried to end it gracefully and compassionately and you freaked out like a fucking toddler. Right. And then some friend of hers might be interested in you or show show her your picture on Tinder and she's going to say no. Yeah. You want her to say, you know what? I we met, we hooked up and it wasn't he wasn't for me, but he was a great guy. Yeah, that's, you know, and you missed out on a potentially a really awesome friend, which is kind of the situation these two sound like, although there might not be chemistry perhaps on either side. You know what? Maybe he's thinking the same thing cuz let's go back to the fact his dick didn't work. It could be for any number of reasons, but maybe he's thinking the exact same thing. Oh uh, god, I don't want her to think I don't 
think she's pretty or that there's something wrong with her. How great would it have been if they had this really open and honest conversation and they both went, oh, my God, I'm so glad you said it. Let's go grab a burger. So Stormy Daniels, it's so great to have you actually in our podcasting studio. Can you hang around for a couple more questions? Absolutely. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 20s gay man from the West Coast. And I have a question about good communication etiquette uh, for casual hookups. I recently met a guy at a party. I was like moderately interested and we ended up coming back to my house and having sex. He's a really, he's a nice guy and we ended up exchanging phone numbers and he was texting me pretty frequently right after for the few first few days. And so I thought maybe he was coming on a bit strong. So I uh, communicated that I wasn't feeling really strong romantic feelings, but maybe occasionally hanging out and hooking up would be in the cards from my perspective. And he reacted a bit defensively and said like that he wasn't thinking of anything serious and wasn't sure exactly why I had those those feelings. So but I communicated sort of like how I was feeling and, and I think uh, he understood. Since then, in the like two weeks after, I've received like three to four, perhaps five text messages following up on my offer to occasionally hook up. And I don't know exactly how to broach it because I felt like because of the frequency, whatever interest I had has kind of evaporated. And so last time he texted me, I um, just started to slowly disengage, waiting a little bit longer to respond, and then also letting him know that I was busy that week. If he texted me again, I was thinking of maybe saying something a little stronger that like I'm not interested anymore, but I haven't seen him since that encounter, so I don't know exactly how to broach it like maybe saying that there's no chemistry wouldn't make too much sense because i haven't seen him more than once any thoughts dan would be greatly appreciated this is very similar Mm -hmm. this is someone who isn't interested in this person they hooked up with once for whatever reason and you don't have to hook up with anybody more than once for whatever reason right and just not saying it yeah you you don't have to to have a reason no, you don't. No means no thing. But you know what's great? I have to say, your listeners are so kind. <laughs> well, these two, we get some. Okay, these are nothing like folks. the people who contact me. <laughs> you want to trade? I see the people who contact you on Twitter. <laughs> I have my haters. I get some hate mail uh, daily. Oh. Not like uh, the high fire position you found yourself in. But yeah, I like to think that if people listen to my show, they get better at this shit Mm -hmm. but sometimes the hand wringing around i don't want to hurt this person's feelings by telling them the truth and then they they wind up drawing something out forever and that's you know the cliche ripping the band-aid off slowly yes what i was gonna say is is always worse so he should just say yeah i think so i mean you can already tell he's asking what you what he thinks he should do but i can tell you he and he already knows you could tell he just wants he wants us to say it's okay. It's okay. It's to okay. Tell someone no. Yes, absolutely. It's okay. But it's to even tell better to no. say no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It is even better to say no, thank you. And and people always hesitate because they don't want to inflict hurt. They don't want right. to be at that moment where they're really pricking someone right. with a pin and not a prick, and it hurts. And they maybe draw you know, symbolic blood and, you know, someone's in pain and you right. put them there and, and no- people delay that moment and then the pain is worse. Right. And and nobody likes to be rejected. So you might be causing some pain, but you know what I have to point out as well that is a problem with a lot of these is their text messages. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like the sign of a bigger problem is that people can't communicate anymore. 
because everything's done via text. Like I can't tell you how many times like people meet on these apps or and they all of their communication is done with their finger on text messages and then they can't have a real conversation even on the phone. So people don't make phone calls anymore. No, they don't and they don't know how to talk to each other in person. So I think a, like a bigger problem here is that the tone of a text can be interpreted wrong, but most importantly, it can be interpreted however the person holding it wants to. So if they're already feeling insecure or rejected, it's going to read more aggressive or more hurtful or cruel than it would if it was said face-to-face. Or if they're engaged in what I call dickful thinking yes. instead of wishful <laughs> thinking. They're dickful thinking, they might interpret your... The opposite. Reading the opposite too much way. into it. Right. That that your text message where you're trying to yeah. seem like you're disengaging or maybe not that interested, they're infusing with interest and desire mm-hmm. because they're engaged in dickful thinking. Also twatful thinking, also a thing. Right. And then they just overanalyze everything as well. Oh my God, he didn't get back to me instantly because... He doesn't like me. Oh, he didn't get back to me instantly because he's playing hard to get and he wants me to. <laughs> no, maybe he was just taking a poop. He found a copy of The Rules by The Rules Girls lying around from exactly. 20 years ago in one of his exactly. aunt's apartment and is trying to like pique my interest by not responding. Right. I guess in a nutshell, you don't need permission to say no. You don't need permission to tell someone you're not interested. Prolonging it is crueler than ripping the Band-Aid off. And most importantly, please go out and talk to people. <laughs> like interacts like humans, not you, machines. You also don't need permission to ask a direct question. The, the, the guy on the other side of this exchange is free to ask, look, are you interested or not? Mm-hmm. And if you're not interested, please say so. You know, sometimes I think we talk about people accepting rejection gracefully. Sometimes you have to invite rejection gracefully. Right. You have to say to someone, look, if the answer is no, you can say no. Knowing that people have a hard time saying no. If you're wondering, like, why are they doing this to me? Why are they, uh, you know, sending me these messages or not responding quickly? Are they interested? Are they not? You can ask that as a direct question. Look, if you're not interested, you can tell me and I'm not going to, like, be a baby about it. I'm not going to blow your bunny. Yeah, I'm not going to blow your I? bunny. I'm not going to show up at your house. <laughs> I'm not going to have a fit. You, there are th- 3.5 billion other men on the planet whose dicks I can suck. What's up? All right. Exactly. Hey, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old female living in New York, slightly hetero uh, and cis. Um, and I'm calling because I'm five months out of a super toxic relationship that took me like a year and a half to get out of. Uh, my ex was super emotionally manipulative and abusive and even physically assaulted me once. And it took a really long time to get out of that because it was the best sex of my life, my first love. But I'm five months out and I'm feeling amazing, like the best I've ever felt. Um, And I've started seeing other guys and dating. And one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if this is due to my breakup or the political climate right now, but I just like don't give a fuck about getting the guy off. I've only like given one blowjob in the past few months of my re-entering the dating world. Um, It was to a guy who just did such an amazing job that I felt compelled to, like I wanted to do it but other than that I've dated a bunch of guys who've gotten me off multiple times and then I kind of just said sayonara I think it's okay I kind of like enjoy it but part of me also feels like this isn't really a good way to meet a new partner um, and it's not might not be the nicest thing to do because I would be upset if someone did it to me so I just wanted to hear your thoughts am I being a total asshole what can I do to stop being an asshole I'm just wondering if you have any experience with toxic men uh, I'm Stormy Daniels. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> so we can put that aside. That yes. question is answered. While we were listening to the call, you gave a big thumbs down yeah, sign. I say keep shopping until you find a dick you want to suck. <laughs> <laughs> is she doing something wrong there? She, maybe it's well, part she, of her recovery and her journey. Like she was, Things were taken from her in her last relationship. Yeah, but you can't hold 
all men accountable for what one man did. That's, That's completely coming from Stormy unfair. That has weight. Rude as fuck. If you don't like giving blowjobs for whatever reason, well, first of all, I can't get my head around that at all. But, um, but <laughs> we should, if that's, start, we but should if that start a is, support group because I'm is, the same way. But if that is the case, by all means, like you should never do anything sexually that you don't, in, you know, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't please you or bring you something that you don't like to do. But she said that she'd done it before. Now I know a lot of girls don't like doing it because they're self conscious. They think they're not doing it right. I've, I've heard lots of different reasons. Um, but she said that she used to do it and she enjoyed it. So this is different. So it's either stop blaming all men for the actions of one because that's super fucked up and you're just going to carry that on your back forever and just become more and more and more bitter. Um, And two, maybe the guys you're seeing, you know, like I said, find a dick you want to suck. Now there are guys out there who just want to service. There are guys out there who'd be turned on by this kind of imbalance. Right. But I don't think that's who she's seeking out. No, it's, you know. She's taking revenge on guys. Exactly, and that's that's not that's not okay. I, mean, I think that she probably. I mean, I'm not a doctor and offering medical advice, but it sounds Neither like she kind of needs to talk to somebody. You know, if, if you look she's... advice up in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. Okay, so literally needs... anyone can give advice. I think she should probably talk to someone because I think this is pointing to a much bigger problem that she feels like she has to emotionally or sexually manipulate or hurt. Withhold, withholding something is also hurting somebody mm-hmm. and I feel like she's trying to like you said get revenge yeah and she's taking without giving after having come out of a relationship where she was used where she was abused right. physically so I understand where she's coming from right I, I do too but that's not that's Hopefully. not a, a, a route to recovery from that yeah. shitty toxic relationship careening around being yeah. shitty to other people just exactly. increases the amount of shittiness in the world just because you're damaged doesn't give you the right to damage other people so about blowjobs, I'm a fan. I am a huge fucking fan. <laughs> I hear all the time, though, from straight guys who think that there aren't women out there who like giving blow- – I hear from straight guys who have gone to get blowjobs from gay guys because they want to get a blowjob once in their life from someone who loves giving blowjobs. Really? Those guys need to meet more women, different kinds yeah. of women. Yeah, I love to give blowjobs. <laughs> but you know what I've heard? I've heard from girls that say, oh, I really do like – like doing it but i don't like doing it because i feel um submissive i'm like what are you talking about and they're like well like i'm i'm not getting anything physically out of it i'm servicing him i'm down like literally on my knees below him i'm like you have his dick between your teeth you are in the most powerful position that any woman on earth could ever be in and they're like oh my god you're right you can end him forever and she's like I got to go suck some dick. Like, <laughs> like, like it's all about, you know, somebody told me very recently, it's all about perspective. It is all about perspective. So are you on your knees being submissive or are you uh, completely controlling this person because you could literally end it? <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about something you said earlier in this response. You should never do anything that doesn't uh, give you pleasure. It doesn't please you. Um, I sometimes encourage people to be what I call GGG. Don't do something good gaming and game. Don't do anything that leaves you traumatized, curled up in the feet on the floor. But sometimes, you know, I believe people should have the capacity and have it in them to take pleasure from giving pleasure. If there's something that really gets your partner off, that is no skin off your back, doesn't hurt you or trigger you, but it doesn't necessarily give you pleasure. Right. I mean, you need to be able to tap into pleasure I, you give. I agree with you. And as soon as I said it, I wanted to edit what I said. Um, because I've also told people the 
you know, when you're in a relationship for a very, very long time, um, sex slows down and then you you get in the rut of not having sex. Even if the person that you're with, you've got each other, like you have this gift of having been with this person for so long that you know each other's bodies, you know, you know, like exactly how to get the person off. Like, enjoy that. But I understand like when you get into a rut, you're not having sex. It's hard to start having sex again, Mm -hmm. especially for for whatever reason for women. It, like chemically bio, you know. Um, so a I always tell desire friends for a partner falls off more sharply in a long term relationship it, than a man's. For yes, and partner. it stays off. Yeah. So the best way to jumpstart your sex life is to have sex. So I always tell people like, oh, we're not we're not fucking anymore. I'm like, just fuck him. I don't really want to. You think I should do something I don't want to do? Yes, yes. just once because it's going to kick your hor- like your stuff going. How many times have you not had sex for like a while and then you have sex? And then you have sex again the next morning and the next day. It's like you got to – if you stop doing it, then you never do it again. Yeah, it's so – it's such a difficult thing to say because it's – you know, there's some you know, millennia of gender depression and, and women being treated like men have a right to access their bodies and they shouldn't have control of their own bodies, particularly in heterosexual marriages traditionally. But it is often true that for women – and, you know, Lori Brodo says this, Meredith Chiver says this, all these sex researchers say it, that – you know, men get horny and want to have sex, but for a lot of women, they start having sex and get horny. Yes. So if you exactly. never have sex until you're horny, you might never have sex. That's a much more eloquent way to say what I was trying to say. No, you said it perfectly <laughs> eloquently. I was just, I was just bringing in the reinforcements yes. to say, like, all the biggest sex researchers looking at uh, low sexual desire in women are with you on that. Yeah, I, I've field tested it. <laughs> hey, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I have a new coworker who just started this week and he's already managed to put me in a really awkward situation. I could use your help. I'm a late 20s straightish woman and the new guy's in his mid-50s. He's single and gay. He and I are both remote salespeople in different cities. So we don't work in an office together, but we will have to travel together for meetings and trade shows throughout the year. The first day of working together went great. As we got to know each other, he would share things about his personal life, like a cute picture of a guy he's been dating, and I was all ears. The problems began on day two. After 24 hours of knowing each other, he clearly felt very comfortable with me and started sharing some over-the-top personal information, like a story about how he recently gave head to a guy with a musky cock before he got on a plane, and then he got off on the fact that his beard smelled like this guy's crotch for the whole ride home, or how he loves the feeling of taking a dump because it reminds him of anal sex. The problem with this behavior is twofold. First, I find it fucking disgusting. I don't mean that in a homophobic or kink-shamey way. I consider myself very GGG. However, the last thing I want to think about is my new coworker receiving sexual satisfaction from taking a shit. It's fine if that's how he feels, but I should have the right to never, ever know that. Secondly, it displays really poor judgment on his part. I mean, dude, you've known me for 24 hours and I'm your new coworker. Why do you think it's okay to share this stuff? I hope that if I ignored his gross comments, he would understand he was making me uncomfortable and cut it out. But that didn't work. I wish I had nipped it in the bud the first time he crossed the line into oversharing. And I'm concerned that after two days, I've set a precedent that I'm cool with hearing about this stuff. I want to continue to build a solid working relationship with this person while also telling him to knock it the fuck off. How do I walk this line, Dan? I'm just going to jump in. You're not going to walk a line, honey. You're going to report him immediately. At first, 
I thought, you know, if someone's just kind of oversharing a little bit and that they're venting and they might just need an outlet and you can politely tell them no. But these details are so over the top. This man is purposely trying to make you feel uncomfortable. And getting off. And getting off on it. He is getting a thrill out of it. Do not give him one more moment of fucking satisfaction. Get him fired immediately. Completely. I'm very, very open-minded and we'll talk about just about anything. He crossed the line so grossly that you do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not go, you know, <laughs> fucking go straight, straight to jail. You know, I think something. Report him. I completely agree with you. I'm one hundred percent with you. I have issues with uh, oversharers. I have noticed, particularly as I have gotten older myself, I'm in my fifties now. That and she says this guy's in his fifties. Mm-hmm. That sometimes as people age, they get a little bit more aggressive with sharing sexual details because they begin to be seen as not sexual anymore. Because of, you know, ageism or whatever assumptions right. we make about people who are older. And so people begin to assert that they are sexual. They can mm-hmm. assert that they're desirable in ways that are inappropriate. Right. And I get that. I also get that as you get a little older, you get more more confidence mm-hmm. and you're more willing to speak up and, and have less fucks to give basically. And I have the same problem that you do. I have people that overshare. But generally when they do it to me, it's them approaching me asking for help it might be super uncomfortable and inappropriate you know like i have ladies come up to me in the produce section literally and ask me how i shave and not get razor burn on my vagina (laughs) and i've had an older lady follow me into a dressing room at macy's and and i gotta ask you like my husband you know really wants to have anal like these are but you can tell i get those exact same questions but they haven't seen my vagina they just assume i would know right i but those are like Super inappropriate, but first of all, they're not coworkers, and you, you can tell in their demeanor that they're they're desperate and, and they're, asking and and, and their detail, the details aren't disgusting. My yeah, this dick, guy my face smelled like a stanky dick. I like to take a sh- no that that is him getting a thrill out of it, and he's in, in trying to he's emotionally you, raping her. Yeah, and trying to 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 draw out from her a, a disgust a, response. Yeah, so like that to then instill he, a feeling yeah. of her of revulsion. Because those are revolting details. Yeah, I think he's trying to bait her into snapping and then he can flip it into that she hates gays or something. I We don't know what his motivation is, but whatever it is, it is it is cruel and disgusting and needs to be eliminated immediately. I hate gays after hearing that call. So I've had this issue with people coming up to me forever. Sometimes people just want to thank me because they've listened to the show or read something in mm-hmm. column that saved their marriage. I get that all the time. Like married couples came up to me this weekend oh. in San Francisco to it like burst into tears. I was hosting this event, burst into tears because I saved their marriage. And like, I'm always happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to hug strangers and then I have to hug them, which always freaks me out. But I have people come up to me who just like, because they listen to the show and I love everyone who listens to my show. And, you know, people who have good judgment wouldn't do this, but to people with bad judgment, I'm in line for a sandwich in an airport with my son who is then seven years old at 8 a.m. at Midway in O'Hare Airport. And some guy comes up to me and starts asking me about rimming. And I don't think the other people in line want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I had to look at him and say, we haven't addressed this with our seven-year-old kid who is standing right beside me. So can you email me Right. your question? The, there's something about my presence that like, you know, people – I talk I talk about this. is what I do. I talk about sex. I talk about some yeah. intimate details. I talk about stank dick. I talk about everything. Yeah. And then people feel like they can talk about everything with me anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. And that could be a problem. People tend to lose their filter completely when there's a butthole involved. I don't know what it is, <laughs> by the way, but that seems to be a thing. Um, but yeah, I have, the, I have the same problem. Like 
I don't even want to say the word problem because it makes me sound ungrateful. You know, like so I we're love, in two support groups now: love sucking dick support group and the overshare victims of yeah, support group. Yeah, exactly. And and you're right; they want to hug, except for and and I'll do it because these like I just feel like they're so genuine sometimes. But about one out of ten, I instantly regret because during the hug, I get the where they just want to feel my boobs, uh, and I'm like, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have that problem. You probably get the reach around. I have gotten the reach around. Yeah. Someone grabbed my dick in a in a co- uh, copy shop once. Reach between what? my legs and grab my dick because I write Savage Love. This was 20 years ago. But, yeah. Uh, what is wrong with some people? Not all people. They're texting too much. That's what's wrong with them. That's right. They don't know how to have Too many emojis. <laughs> Use your words, people. Oh, my God. I say that all the time. Use your words. There's a catchphrase on this show. Oh, really? Because people don't fucking use their words. Exactly. Hey, Dan, I'm a 27-year-old heterosexual cisgendered woman, and my boyfriend and I cannot stop talking about my body hair. I'm hoping that you can help. I stopped shaving my legs and armpits a couple weeks ago, partially for convenience, partially because I have been feeling very resentful of all the things that women have to do for the sake of men. And just didn't feel like doing it anymore. I did not think it would be a big deal. Um, My boyfriend does not like it. He is really cool. Like, he's great, very feminist, um, very supportive. But he says that this is just something that's been hardwired into his brain to appreciate and think that smooth, sexy legs and armpits are more sexually attractive and that having, you know, hairy armpits and legs is manly. And so it's hard for him to move past that. It hasn't really impacted our sex life or anything like that, other than I feel very self-conscious in a way I did not anticipate. Um, And we keep going back and forth because he knows, you know, he said, I know this is stupid of me. I know I need to get over it, but this is what I think and I can't help it. And now I like, I don't love having hairy legs, honestly. I just was kind of doing it as an experiment and also to, like I said, partially out of convenience. And now I don't want to shave them out of stubbornness. So I'm curious if you have any advice here because everything I look up on the internet is like, your boyfriend's a, you know, a sexist demon and you should break up with him if he's not cool with this. All the things women have to do for men, like shave their legs. Uh, Well, we don't have to do any of it. She would like to. That's what really sticks in my craw about this column. Yeah. She stopped shaving her legs and her pits and is angry that her boyfriend didn't like it. Yes. But she doesn't like it either. But she, on principle, she doesn't want to right. start shaving again because she shouldn't have to even though she would want to. And if he yeah. hadn't taken a position, she would be already. Exactly. I think that uh, anytime you're doing something just to quote her directly, be stubborn or to spite somebody, it doesn't matter if it's shaving your legs. It could be anything. Uh, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and that's just not right. Um, she said that he's – admit it that you know that he's great in all these other ways if they had started dating and she didn't shave and then he decided that he wanted her to shave that would be a much bigger issue for me he i'm sorry but like he can look at her now and be like this is not what i ordered like (laughs) like she's changed something that he was attracted to her as she was she's chosen well within her right i support that 100 percent to change something and he is 
sounds like he's actually fairly cool with it. He's you know being pretty cool, and he's not. He's, he's not owning the fact that it's yeah, not necessarily it. fair that he's but, conditioned to find this attractive to associate hairy legs and armpits with male bodies and not yeah. female bodies, and he's a straight guy. Yeah, he's entitled to be attracted to whatever it is he's attracted to. And he was attracted to her a certain way and she decided to change it. And I hear this a lot from women who want to get their boobs done and their boyfriends or husbands are very much against it because they fell in love with or were attracted to these boobs. And what do you tell those women? I say you have to make a choice. It's your body. You should do what you want and you make make you happy. But you can't hold him against you can't hold it against him if he's no longer attracted to it. You know what I mean? Same thing if changing your hair color. Some guys like blondes and they're... I have this conflict with my husband. Not about a boob job. Oh, okay. I was like, But well, sometimes he <laughs> grows a mustache. Yeah. And it's his face and he should be able to do what he wants with it. And I tell him, okay, but this is my face mm-hmm. and this is what I'm not doing with my face when that's on your face. I'm not pressing my face against yours because I can't tell you what to do with yours. You can't tell me what to do with yeah. mine. And we have these like knockdown fights. About his horrible porn stash. He doesn't listen to the show, so I can say this. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and everybody out there, please don't rat me out on Twitter to my husband that we're talking about his awful porn stash <laughs> on the show. But but yeah, yeah. If you if you alter something about yourself and your partner didn't sign up for it and doesn't care for it, they you, that's something you have to factor in when you're in a partner relationship. Yeah. And what you're communicating to someone is, I don't care. I don't care whether you find me attractive or not. I, I'm not invested in that. Yeah. And that kind of taking each other for granted, that kind of disregard, that kind of. But at the end of the day, it is your body and you should do what you want with it. But make sure that you are very much aware of the consequences and think about it from an open mind and be really honest with yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. And in her case, she's not shaving her legs for the wrong reason. Buy a razor. Sometimes you can change your body or or change something about your style in a way that your partner might not like. And then you discover that they do like it or it's not an issue that maybe they thought it would be. So I think you can experiment. Yeah. But, you know, it's your body and you should do what you like with it. It's also your relationship. And you want to. She experimented and he doesn't like it. But she doesn't like it either. But she doesn't like it either. So, like, just (laughs) shave your legs and move on. There are so many other more fun things to fight about. Also, she complains that it's all they've been able to talk about for the last two weeks because she won't start shaving again, which right. is what she wants to do, but she won't do it because he didn't like it any more than she did. Women are crazy, but it's not entirely our fault. The complicated piece of machinery. There's an entire aisle at the grocery store dedicated to the vagina. I have one and don't know what half of that shit's for. <laughs> there is no dick aisle. <laughs> like, there is no dick aisle. Dicks are simple. Yeah. Dicks do one thing. Yeah. And... They do this, it this poorly a, in many cases. My vagina is a very complicated piece of machinery and she's got a bad attitude and we rarely agree on things. So when we do agree, I just live in the moment. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, God. <laughs> he's, no, like, I, he's like, you can go now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that we're talking about vaginas, I'm out. I'm I have out. to tap out. No, no. I just feel like I've taken up so much of your time. This has been so much fun and you've yeah. been so great. And, and I've just loved getting to know you. I've read your book. I follow you on Twitter. I just think you're awesome. And the next time you're Thank you. through town, will you please come back and take more questions? Yes, absolutely. And I'm coming back. I have a meeting I have to come back for. So I'm going to hold you to that. And now that listeners know in advance, we'll give them advance warning and we can get some stormy specific questions. Oh, goodness. That'll be interesting. Thanks again. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I am a 40-year-old gay male. I'm dating a guy that is currently in the closet and is having issues with coming out of the closet because he is 100% convinced that nobody needs to know his sexuality. To him, that's a very private matter. I'm 100% convinced that at least 
his family needs to know, primarily for reasons of, God forbid, accidental death or extended stays in the hospital. What kind of benefits would I have if he's in the closet and nobody knows about me? Also, I don't want to be kept somebody's secret. I want to be able to advertise to the world who I'm dating and the adventures that we're going on and the fun that we're having. And I am wanting to spend time with him at the holidays, but we can't do that because nobody knows about me. Can you please offer up some advice on whether or not I should be pushing him to come out of the closet or what I can tell him to convince him that he does need to tell his family and finally come out of the closet. You know when I decided I was done dating closet cases? In high school. Don't date closet cases. It is an exhausting waste of time. A 44-year-old grown-ass man who is gay, openly gay, selectively openly gay, who has a boyfriend and a partner who is not out to mommy and daddy is a coward. I'm sorry. There are some people with extenuating circumstances. There are some people who stand to inherit billions and would rather have the billions than be authentic, would rather lie then tell the truth if it might cost them billions. There are some people who are crushed by religious expectations. There's some people who live in parts of the world, of course, some people who live in parts of the world who listen to this show where it is dangerous to be out, where they could be arrested, prosecuted, thrown in jail, executed. Your boyfriend ain't one of those guys. Your boyfriend doesn't have that excuse. You are not calling me from Nigeria or Uganda or Russia. And what your boyfriend is asking you is to be closeted yourself, to join him in the closet. He is pulling you in. Those of us who are gay and out, we come the fuck out because being in the closet is immiserating. It sucks. It's painful. It requires you to live a lie and edit yourself at all times and police yourself at all times. And he's asking you to go back to that. You're a 40-year-old man. When did you come out? Out High school, college? If you're the average 40-year-old gay man, High school, late high school, college, sometimes earlier. And he's asking you decades after you left that miserable place to join him there because he doesn't want to talk about his sexual activities with mom and dad. Well, you don't have to talk about your sexual activities with mom and dad. And he doesn't want people making assumptions about his sexual activities, but he's allowing people to assume that he engages in heterosexual sexual activities because the default setting when you are not out is not who knows. He's never told us what he is. The default setting is the heterosexual assumption. So people make assumptions about his sexual activities in the absence of his nutting up, overing up and telling the goddamn truth. They assume that he's eating pussy and fucking twat. They assume that he just hasn't met the right girl yet. And he allows them to believe that. And requires you, so his parents and family can continue to believe this thing about him that is not true, to be alone on the holidays, to edit yourself in public, to hide. Don't do it. Don't be willing to do it. And I know the saw is that everybody comes out at their own time and their own pace and you can't pressure anybody to come out. And yeah, I guess. But there's a limit. You can't pressure him to be out, but he can't pressure you to be in. And that's what he's doing. He's pressuring you to be in the closet if you want to be with him. And I believe that you have a right as an out gay person to counter with, no, 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 no. I'm pressuring you to be out if you want to be with me. Because I'm out. 
and I ain't going back in for you or anyone else. Give him a time limit, six months or a year to come out. And you're right to think about how vulnerable you would be in a health crisis. You're right to think about family blowing in, not knowing who the fuck you are, kicking you out of the apartment or having you removed from a hospital room, not being able to make medical decisions for your partner in a crisis. Let's say you're together 10 or 15 years. Let's say his parents by then are dead. Let's say he has a sibling from whom he's estranged or he's an only child and his next blood relative, his nearest kin, is some fucking cousin who's a right-wing Christian homophobe who blows in and takes over when he is sick because you have no legal right. And you could go get powers of attorney signed on the sly. Those can be contested. You can be dragged into court. And by the time that's resolved, he could be dead. And you could have not seen him in the last moments of his life. He doesn't have to live like this. You don't want to live like this. So it's ultimatum time. Out or over? Hi, I'm a straight cisgendered female. I recently ended an on-again, off-again um, four-year relationship that got violent at times and um, got pretty scary, honestly, and is at the point where I have a no contact order. I changed my number. I moved and have done everything I can to get that other person out of my life. I have waited a really long time um, and feel like I'm finally ready to maybe start dating again. I haven't done anything active, but I feel like if it comes up that I'm, I'm ready to start dating, I haven't downloaded any apps yet because I'm afraid of how do I disclose that? How do I tell someone that? Because inevitably when you start dating someone, it comes up, you know, how did your last relationship end? What was your last relationship like? And I'm just not sure how to tell someone that's interested in me that because I'm afraid that they're going to hear that and run. If someone hears that your last relationship ended badly because your last partner was abusive, stalked you, that you required a restraining order and had to move and change your phone number and runs from you, good fucking riddance to that person. Considering your recent trauma, you want to be with someone who's going to be considerate, who's going to be sensitive to your lingering issues, to your lingering trauma, having come out of a shitty relationship like that. But you want to roll this information out in a way that communicates to this person that you are in good enough working order to be dateable material at this moment. So while I do think you should disclose, I don't think you should disclose instantaneously. You want to establish some rapport. You want to get a feeling as to whether you can trust this person with this kind of really intimate details about your life, about your trauma, about your history, about your romantic history. So maybe on the third or fourth date when you're having those conversations about your most recent failed relationships, and this one would count as a failed relationship. I don't think every relationship that ends is a failed relationship, but this one definitely was. You didn't fail. He failed spectacularly. You say, you know, my last relationship didn't end well, and I'd rather not talk about it. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. I'm not really ready to talk about it yet, but it was kind of a shit show. And it wasn't me. It was him. And then You've placed a marker that this is a conversation that you want to have and you'll reveal more details as you get more comfortable, as you get a feeling as to whether you can trust this person, as those bonds of emotional intimacy grow and are strengthened. And then you open up and share at a moment when it feels right 
And by it, I don't mean the moment. I mean the relationship when it, you feel safe and secure and comfortable enough in it to make yourself vulnerable in this way. You'll also be demonstrating by choosing to wait that you have good judgment, that you're in good working order emotionally, despite the trauma of your last relationship. And you'll be bringing that person in. People want to be brought in, but people get spooked if they're brought in too soon. If something feels too fraught, if people overshare something really significant, really harrowing, really scary, right out of the gate. That can make somebody feel like they have to make a, a premature emotional commitment or a premature commitment. And you don't want to put somebody in the position of feeling they have to prematurely commit to you emotionally or any other way. So you wait. You hold that back a little bit. But you don't lie. You don't say, oh, I've never dated anyone before in my life. You don't say, oh, all my relationships ended perfectly, beautifully well and I'm friends with all my exes. You say, yeah, my last relationship was kind of not great. And we'll talk about that at some time in the future. But it kind of didn't end well. Uh, let's go to the movies. Hey, Dan. I'm calling because I am in a relationship with an older man. And he has been very clear from the start that he's had two kids and doesn't want any more. I thought I was okay with that until my 35th birthday uh, came up and it became clear that I do want to have kids. I'm in the process of getting doctor's appointments and things like that for artificial insemination. And my boyfriend has told me that he wants to be with me, but he doesn't want this to be his child. I'm not really sure what to do. He has two kids of his own, one in university and one other teenager. And I don't know if I should break up with him or if I should just see how it plays out. I don't know how you can be with someone, be their boyfriend, be their girlfriend, and that person have a child without you also having that child or playing some parental role in that child's life. You need clarity from your boyfriend about what he means when he says, I don't want this to be my kid. Does that mean he's not going to be there at the hospital? Does that mean he's not going to want to live with you while this child is a child for the next 18 years? What does he mean by that? Does he mean I don't want to be legally responsible for this child? I don't want to legally be the parent, but I'll be there with you and I will be there with you as you parent your kid in the same way you were there with me as I parented my now pretty much adult children. But if he means you have that kid, you're on your own, then the relationship is going to end because the kid is going to be the sun for a while and you will be the planet or planets if he's there with you that orbit around that sun. And there's just no way of avoiding that. He's not going to be able to compartmentalize his girlfriend from his girlfriend's child. He's in your life, which means he's in that child's life or he's not. If he means he doesn't want to legally parent, doesn't want to be on the birth certificate, doesn't want to be on the hook in case your relationship ends financially, legally, okay, maybe you can make that work. But if he means I want nothing to do with this infant, I don't want it around, I don't want to see it, I don't want to bond with it, I don't want it to bond with me, there is no way you can be in relationship with that man. And parent and have children of your own. So get some clarity from him and then you'll know what you need to do. And if what he's proposing is he will be there with you in the same way you were there with him when he was parenting, uh, but he wants to hold this kid with 
legal tongs. Doesn't want to be legally the parent, but doesn't want to not be a part of the kid's life. Maybe you can make that work. And maybe he'll reconsider in time. Maybe he'll fall in love with this kid. But I wouldn't bank on it if I were you. I would, if I were in your shoes, game this out and ask yourself whether you can do this as a single parent because that is the likely outcome here. Hey, Dan. I am calling with a question. My best friend from college recently decided to drop their she, her pronouns and basically has switched over to just identifying as completely non-binary or rather coming out um, that way. Now, we've been close friends for a long time, but we don't live in the same city. And so actually, this weekend was the first time I've seen them in several, several years, actually. And I had the hardest time switching back over to using exclusively they, their pronouns instead of continuing to gender them with she, her pronouns. They were really gracious about it and basically said, hey, you know, I know you're not purposely trying to do this. It's just something you're getting used to. And they're right. But I'm wondering if you have any tips on how to train my brain (laughs) to switch over to use the correct pronouns for my friend. I was Danny in grade school and then became Dan in adulthood and everybody in my life seemed to be able to make that shift pretty seamlessly. My mother was Mrs. Savage. Then she married this nice guy with a different last name and then she was Mrs. Sobiask. And all of us adult children who shared the last name with our mother for decades, all of our lives, we were able to make that shift, although we reserved the right to call her Ma Savage at times. You can make this shift. It can be a little confusing that they, them, singular pronoun in certain instances it's not confusing at all and people use it all the time and the plural they is common in english go to your doctor ask them what they think you should do about that sore on your genitals people say things like that they don't stumble over it it just flows when are they coming to dinner when you mean one person that can be confusing to other people in the room who are listening to you like they are coming to dinner how many play settings are we setting i thought you said there was just three of us tonight there are three of us they are coming they use they, them pronouns, but they are just one person. That can be confusing. It just takes a little time to get used to it and a little effort. So you ask how you can get there. Practice, practice, practice. And it helps that your friend isn't a rage bomb, anxious to blow up in your face every time you stumble over this change. It's going to take you some time to get used to it. It's going to take you some time to think they, them when you are speaking of or speaking to someone you used to regard as she, her. They're transitioning at the moment. So are you. They want your understanding and your compassion and your patience as they transition, as they're coming out, and they should extend to you the same courtesy. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Um, I'm calling with yet another libido question. So my boyfriend and I have been together for a couple of years, and I love him very much. I'm very happy and satisfied in our relationship, but he feels like we don't have sex often enough. I feel like we do. We have sex at least twice a week. And I know on for other people who've called, they are having sex maybe not even a month in between. And I just don't feel like having sex weekly is that infrequent. 
I will say I'm in grad school and he's a carpenter and he's building us a house right now. And so I get left with most of the housework on top of working two jobs and it's exhausting and I'm tired. And while I'm really happy with him, I just don't have much left to give to sex. I don't know if it has anything to do with my birth control. I know that that can be a side effect of birth control, but if you have any ideas of, you know, am I way off base for thinking that having sex maybe once a week is plenty, or if that's just a mismatched thing, I asked him what would happen if I was in some kind of an accident and we couldn't have sex as often or as frequently. And he was kind of like, well, sex is really important to me. So that would be really hard. So maybe, I don't know, is he just kind of a jerk? I don't know. Usually when a, a woman calls in and says, I do all of the housework and he wants more sex from me, it's my job to jump down the guy's throat and, and order him to help out more around the house, do more of the housework, and a fair division of household labor is important. And all the housework shouldn't fall to one person, certainly not the woman. But in this case, you're doing all the housework while he is doing all the house construction, and that seems like a pretty fair division of labor to me. You're cleaning the house, he's building the house. After the house is built, I think you could reassess who does what? He can't build the house, be done building the house, and expect that you're going to clean the house and do all of the household chores eternally. But right now, maybe I'm misreading this. Maybe I'm wrong. But you build the house, I'll clean the house until the house is built. Seems like pretty fairsy to me. That said, you're having an argument about subjective experience. You're having an argument about feelings. He would like to have more sex. You feel that the amount of sex that you're having is perfectly adequate. He doesn't feel that way. And you guys are going to have to find a workable compromise that makes everybody kind of sort of happy. I think that twice a week in a long-term relationship, you're doing pretty good. You're only two years in. Some people would say that's not quite LLTR status yet, not long, long-term relationship. But twice a week, that's pretty regular. And there are, as you say, people who have sex a lot less. But telling someone who has a high libido who would like to be having sex daily or every other day or three or four times a week. Hey, you got it pretty good. There are people out there who only get sex once a month or less. Count your blessings, buddy. That's not going to make him any less aggrieved. That's not going to fix this. Hey, you're, there are people out there who are on fire. You're not on fire. Be happy you're not on fire. That's not an argument that settles a, a dispute like this. An accommodation might have to be made does have to be made if you're interested in his happiness and peace in the house. That doesn't mean you have to have tons of sex that you don't want to have. An accommodation can be, look, I'm down twice a week and if you need to masturbate a couple of times a day or a week and you need to watch a little porn or whatever, do what you need to do. Take care of business and then I'm here for you when we're both horny. An accommodation can also be assisted masturbation. You may not always be down for intercourse, particularly if you're always the one who is penetrated when you two have intercourse. But holding him while he masturbates, sitting on his face while he masturbates, being there, letting him nuzzle your tits while he masturbates, a little assisted masturbation where not much is physically required or expected and he doesn't try to upgrade, that he knows that this is an assisted masturbation moment where you're not feeling particularly horny but you want to be there for him and provide him with a little stimulation that helps him Drain his sack so he can get back to 
putting the roof on the house that he's building for you, that can be an accommodation that works. That's an effective accommodation, particularly in a long, if you guys can have kids someday and you're exhausted from that. Being able when you know there's a lot of stress in your life and you're very busy, and it sounds like you are very busy, two jobs and you're in grad school, you have a lot on your plate. Having a little bit of low stakes, low impact sex together, making time in addition to the two times a week, you're making time for actual sex for once or twice a week on top of that, assisted masturbation or just mutual masturbation where it's less physically taxing, less stressful, less time consuming. That'll tide him over until the sex that's going to happen a day or two from now. That's a compromise and a workable solution that makes everybody happy. But something's expected of him too, which is if this is assisted masturbation, I want to emphasize this point for everybody out there who wants it every day or every other day and they're with somebody who only wants it once or twice a week. If you're going to agree to like give me an assist, give me a reach around, give me a little help here so I can get off and feel taken care of and also sane again and, and drained again, you can't every time that happens try to pressure or upgrade to actual intercourse to sex, to more complicated forms of sex. I think mutual masturbation is sex because that's going to make your partner who's willing to sit there on your face or let you nuzzle their tits or whatever while you're getting yourself off, that's going to make them reluctant to go and help you out to be there for an assisted masturbation session if it turns into wheedling, guilt-tripping, attempted upgrade to actual intercourse. Hi, Dan. I'm a bisexual woman in my early 20s living in the Midwest, and I've got a couple of questions for you regarding my roommate. Firstly, I'm having a hard time with her because she's quite clingy, almost possessive. She lacks normal adult roommate boundaries. For instance, she gets mad if I do things like stay out late with friends without checking in with her. She randomly will crawl into bed with me at night. um, And it even went so far that she demanded I FaceTime her every day while I was out of state to visit family. She jokes a little bit too often that she feels like we're dating um, to the point that her coworkers, some of which who have never even met me, refer to me as her spouse or significant other. And as a person who identifies as bi or maybe it's just a fucking human, I sometimes wonder if she actually has feelings for me that she maybe isn't conscious of or won't acknowledge just because of how possessive she gets over me. And secondly, She's trying to set me up with one of her coworkers, apparently, but keeps doing things that seemingly sabotage it. Like she invites him over to our apartment without giving me any sort of heads up, um, but will expect me to drop everything or get out of bed and hang out with them. A couple nights ago, she not only invited him over, but much to my surprise and frankly irritation upon waking up the next morning had let him stay the night. To add to that, he slept in her bed with her, despite the fact that we have a futon, and she was wearing a lingerie type of nightgown. Um, And it's really not as if they're close friends, you know, who've known each other for a long time and can just share a bed. But in any case, it just feels like she's playing some sort of game, and I don't know how to address this or, you know, my first issue that I mentioned with her. Um, I know I should say something, but I also don't want it to be uncomfortable or have her get hostile as we still have nine months or so left in our lease. Break your lease. In nine months, this nut is going to be wearing your skin as a house dress. Get the fuck out of there. 
stop playing. When she comes into your room, tell her not to come the fuck in your room. Put a lock on your door. She's violating your boundaries by crawling into bed with you in the middle of the night. She's violating your boundaries by suggesting to others, allowing others to assume that you guys are girlfriends when you are not. She's making completely unreasonable demands on your time and for your attention. And you don't want to make her feel bad. You don't want to have a confrontation. So you're not pushing back the way you ought to push back. Maybe you're afraid of her. I would be afraid of her. I would be breaking that fucking lease and moving the fuck out of that apartment. Even if it meant I had to pay rent for a little while on that apartment while I couch surfed in a few other apartments while I arranged to find a new roommate or she arranged to find a new roommate who would be more comfortable having their skin worn as a house dress in nine months. So be it. But yeah, you got to get the fuck out of there. I'm not saying your roommate is definitely going to kill you if you stay, but this is only going to get worse and she's only going to get needier and clingier. And right now, every signal you've sent, anytime she's said jump, you've said how high. You haven't even waited to say how high. You've just leapt into the air as high as you possibly can. And so she's going to keep sinking those hooks in deeper because it's working, because you're allowing it to work, because you want to avoid a confrontation, a confrontation that you cannot actually avoid. If you're going to remain roommates for nine more months, you have to tell her this all stops now. You are not her friend. You are not her girlfriend. You are her roommate. She does not crawl into bed with you in the middle of the night. She cannot be angry at you if you decide to stay out all night with your actual friends. And when you're away with your family, you don't have to report back in because you're not in a relationship. Your names are on a lease, not a marriage certificate. All right, before we get to listener comments, a few listener tweets. Sporty Nerds tweets about episode 630 of the Savage Lovecast. We are a one-dick couple of swingers, but that's because he's straight and she's in it for the pussy. We sometimes have to dispel this misperception. Insecurity has nothing to do with it. You know who's insecure, Sporty Nerds goes on? The people who can't accept our dynamic. Laura Koch tweets, my beloved cousin and I realize calling fake Dan Savage on the Savage Lovecast is the only solution to me finding out my partner doesn't like cranberry sauce four years into our relationship. I'm sorry, that is a DTMFA level offense in my book. Cranberry sauce is fucking awesome. And anybody who doesn't want to put that in their mouth doesn't get to put me in their mouth. Dump him. And finally, Hillary Weisman tweets, loved listening to men rave about their vasectomies, how affordable they were, some obtained at Planned Parenthood, and how they improved their sex lives with their female partners, sans painful IUD insertions or debilitating libido-crushing hormones on the hashtag Savage Lovecast. Glad you enjoyed it, Hillary. Thank you for tweeting about it. If you want me to read one of your tweets on a future show, be sure to hashtag your tweets about the Savage Lovecast with hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now some listener comments. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and friends. I have a comment for your recent show, number 630. You advised the maid of honor to essentially quit the wedding party because the fiancé is a Trump supporter, yet expressed patience for the next caller who's seeing a homophobe from another country, suggested engaging in discussion with him about his views. This seems inconsistent to me. Maybe it's because I'm Canadian, and maybe I'm not understanding some subtle American cultural nuances, but I don't see why we should engage with homophobes, but not Trump supporters. Furthermore, I suspect that approach might exacerbate the current political divide. From my end, I've had to listen to nonsense from a Canadian Trump supporter and failed miserably at having an adult conversation, which ended in him verbally assaulting me. 
So I understand wanting to cut them out of your life, but I just don't see the difference between Trump supporters and homophobes. And I wonder if we're doing ourselves a disservice by leaving them to their echo chambers. Hi, Dan. This is in response to uh, the guy who called on episode 630 about the bad first-time sex experience. He sounds just so sweet and so caring and thoughtful, and that is going to attract two types of people. It's going to attract the type of people who want to take advantage of him, and it's going to attract the type of people who just want to love him and care for him. My first experience was absolutely horrific, but now I kind of look back on it, and I feel like I got that out of the way, and it made me really aware of all the red flags that are out there. You're going to find somebody who treats you like the sensitive, sweet person that you sound like you are. So hang in there. Hi, this is for the lovely young man that's on the show. He was, had a regretted first experience, and Dan is talking to him, and he asked for the read, or listeners to call in with their less-than-perfect first experiences. And I want to say there are so many of them out there. Um, my first experience was absolutely terrible. Like you, I was in a get-it-over-with. I chose someone that I didn't know anything at all about. I had a terrible, terrible experience, and even in the moment realized, there, that's done. It's behind me. And it's good to set the bar nice and low because there's only up to go from there. So it's not going to define your sex life. It's just a time. But I will say something about giving the gift that you said and I'm, about giving your gift away. You know what gift you have? You have the gift of your precious, wonderful self. And you get to give that as many times as you want to. And whoever is lucky enough to get that gift of you will treasure it. No matter how many times it's been given to him, no matter how many other people, it is always precious. It is always special. It is always wonderful. It has nothing to do with how often you've had sex. It has nothing to do with where your dick has been or who's been in your body. It is you, yourself. That's the gift. And you're going to be able to give it to someone who's really going to appreciate it. Good luck to you in the dating world. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. We have some gift suggestions for you. Know somebody who listens to the micro? Think they need to hear the Magnum? Think they'd enjoy the Magnum? The Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, twice as long and no ads. You can gift a subscription at savagelovecast.com. Just hit gift. If somebody on your list already is a Magnum subscriber, we've got GGG and Fuck First mugs available at SavageLoveCast.com as well. Just click on shop. And if anybody on your list, and here's hoping everybody on your list, wants to see that motherfucker impeached already, go to ITMFA.org where you can get impeached the motherfucker already. Buttons, hats, mugs, lapel pins, hoodies, and more at ITMFA.org. All right, follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Stormy Daniels, who is awesome at giving sex advice, and we can't wait to have her back on the show. Follow Stormy Daniels at Stormy Daniels. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'll be back at you next week with an installment of Savage Love Cast. Thanks for downloading.